John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. What he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <clears throat> then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you very much for inviting me to come back and uh, speak here today. And uh, as I understand it, you've been uh, looking at different characters in the Bible who had an encounter with Jesus. And I've been asked today to uh, speak on Thomas. Um, quite a difficult character to speak on, but it could be worse. Uh, when I was Associate Minister at Salisbury, uh, Sue Percy chose all the good characters for herself and chose all the bad ones for me, and I had to speak on Judas. So, um, at least it's not as bad as that. But when we look at the list of the twelve disciples, they were ordinary men with flaws. And in the song that we had earlier, you know, talking about clay, you know, we use the expression sometimes, or politicians, but actually, to be fair, all of us, you know, we are men and women with feet of clay. You know, all of us have our skeletons in the cupboard, and all of us have um, things that are not quite right. It'd be great if we were 100% perfect, but it isn't that way, uh, this side of, of the grave. And if you look at the 12 people that uh, Jesus chose amongst them was a betrayer, um, there was a sort of motor mouth, loud mouth, gobby person called Peter. Um, there were um, a couple of brothers, James and John, who were trying to seek the best place in the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And they also had very bad tempers as well, so Jesus uh, nicknamed them Boanerges, uh, sons of, of thunder. 
And uh, then there was another one who was very dodgy because he mixed up religion and politics. Um, and then there was an ex-tax collector as well, so he was a bit rich. Um, so there are all these different people with clay feet. Um, and it's just a reminder as we look at Thomas today that it's um, very easy for us to point the finger at people like Thomas and Peter, but actually there are signs to us that aren't that great um, after all. Now, as you all know, I was a chaplain in the Royal Navy for many years, and one of the great things about the Royal Navy is the sort of sense of humour, and uh, everybody on the ship almost has a nickname. And I don't know where these nicknames have come from, but, you know, anybody with the surname Bennett was known as Wiggy Bennett, and there's Buster Brown and Nobby Clark and Flory Ford, Swampy Marsh, Dusty Miller, Smudger Smith, Whiskey Walker and Chalky White, and lots of other people like that. Uh, what do they call me? Well, I've got a rather unusual surname, and so a bit difficult, but people used to call me the Bish. Uh, some people called me the Sky Pilot. Uh, some people called me the Sin Boson, and others called me the Devil Dodger. So we have all these, uh, we have all these different uh, nicknames. And uh, today we're going to look at someone in history who has gone down as Doubting Thomas. Indeed, on the email that was sent to me, said, would you please speak on Doubting Thomas? Not speak on Thomas, but would you speak on Doubting Thomas? And he has gone down in history as uh, Doubting Thomas. Now, in the lists of the uh, 12 disciples, in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, uh, Thomas is included each time. There are, the way that these are listed in the uh, Bible, there are three groups of four, and uh, Thomas is always included in the, in the middle group, which means that he's neither eminent nor, nor obscure. He's, he's in the middle group of, uh, of four. Um, and the word, um, actually, um, I'm not sure if Thomas was his name, actually, because it comes from the Aramaic, as you know, um, Jesus um, uh, didn't speak in English. Um, in those days, uh, spoken Aramaic and sometimes Hebrew, more usually Aramaic. And the word Thomas actually means uh, twin. And uh, in the Greek New Testament, um, Thomas is referred to as Didymus, um, which is the Greek word for twin. So it's almost like Paul Thomas hasn't got a name. He had a brother who, oh, and this is the twin, you know. So he was almost like, so I would assume he was number two. He was the second one out. And uh, so he was, he was like a twin. Um, so he wasn't, we don't really know if he was Thomas or not, but the Aramaic word for twin is Thomas. And so he's gone down in history as, as Thomas. It's almost like, here is Johnny, oh, and here's the other one, the, the other twin. Um, now, um, apart from appearing in the lists of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and also in the Acts of the Apostles, John's Gospel is the only one, the Gospel we're going to look at today, who actually makes a personal reference to Thomas. And uh, there, there is the occasion in uh, John chapter um, 11, um, verse 16, where... So there, uh, the death of Lazarus, and, and Thomas is mentioned, uh, Jesus told them plainly, uh, Lazarus is dead in for your sake, uh, I, I'm glad I was not there so that you may be believe. believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, verse 16, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, um, I mean, 
mean, this is right gloomy, isn't it? Let us go also that we may die with him. So uh, there's John 11, 16. And then a few pages on in uh, John chapter 14 and verse 5. Um, Jesus is, this is just before Jesus is, in, well, Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for his death. And he's not going to be with them anymore. And uh, you know the, place, the way to the place where I am going, John chapter 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So John refers to Thomas uh, a couple of times. But the chief incident for which Thomas is remembered um, is in today's reading. And I thought I was going to have a lovely illustration because when I was, uh, I was brought up in Salisbury and I went to St. Thomas's school, I think it's now called Serum Academy or something like that. But, um, it was St. Thomas's school, and I was, you know, so I've always had a soft spot for Thomas because I went to St. Thomas's school, and that was going to be part of my illustration today. And last night, I did just have a quick look on the internet, the history of St. Thomas's church in Salisbury, and to my horror, I found it's nothing to do with Thomas, it's to do with St. Thomas of Beckett. So, um, so that, that one goes, but I do have a soft spot for Thomas. Uh, because I went to St. Thomas's school, even though that's named after the murdered Archbishop, St. Thomas of Becket. So, um, so what do we find out? Uh, being Spurgeon, so you've got our three points, haven't you? So um, the, the first, first thing I want to say to you about Thomas is that we find Thomas the, the absentee. Because in the reading that we had uh, to us, it says... Um, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. This is referring to the incident just before when Jesus um, appeared to them. Was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas the absentee. So when Jesus appeared to the disciples in verses 19 to 21, why wasn't, on that first Easter Sunday, why wasn't Thomas there? Um, had Thomas given up through discouragement? Was he depressed? Um, did he want to be on his own to sort of think things through because so much had happened over the last few days? We, we, we're not really sure, but what we do know is that Thomas missed out because he wasn't there. He was absent. So he missed out, if you like, on the... Jesus being with the other disciples have the blessing of seeing Jesus, but Thomas wasn't part of it. Thomas was absent. Thomas wasn't there. And, and if you like, perhaps looking in a larger way, a greater way, it's not a good thing to distance ourselves to be absent from other believers. Uh, when I was a uh, minister in London, um, when I first went to uh, the church, I was told, you know, we, we, this is a big church in, in suburban London, we've got 220 members. Well, actually, we didn't have 220 members, we had more likely 170 members. Uh, if you add on um, a sort of about 20 housebound people, we had 190 members. Uh, where were the other 30? Well, they were people who used to go to church, but don't go to church anymore for all sorts of reasons. And I thought, well, I'm going to get them back. You know, it's like when you're a young minister, you think that you can make anything happen. And um, so I went around and visited them. It was amazing the number of people. Why I, well, I, I did used to go to that church, but I worshipped God on, on my own. That one lady said, you know, I go to the allotment on a Sunday morning, and there amongst the sort of the birds and the bees, so to speak, I, I can worship God there. And uh, I can sort of understand that in a way. Uh, to be honest, 
Um, it is hard work being with other Christians, isn't it? You know, and um, it's very easy to give up on the church. And this little bit of doggery I came across to be above with the saints we love. Oh, that will indeed be glory. To be below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And, um, you know, it is, it, it is easy to think sometimes that, you know, I'll worship God on my own. I'll, I'll read the Bible, I'll, I'll do that in my own home. I don't need to be with all those hypocritical Christians and, and people who say one thing and, and, and do another. And to, and to distance, uh, distance. And there are a lot of people out there who used to go to church. And for all sorts of reasons, they don't go to church anymore. Uh, they still actually, if you ask them, they worship God, but they don't, don't want to go to church. Um, I came across this quote from you know, Gandhi, the, the Indian leader. Uh, Gandhi said, I quite like your Jesus, it's just all the Christians I can't stand. <laughs> um, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to just, you know, I'll do it my own way on, on, on my own. Um, and uh, D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, said to him, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. No, I can worship, I can worship Jesus in my own home. And they were sitting in front of a fire, and D.L. Moody, without saying anything, got the tongs, and, he, and, and the fire was glowing, it was coming towards the end, picked out this coal in the tongs and put it in the hearth, and they just looked at it, and after about five minutes, the coal that had been separated started to go out while the fire was still glowing. And then without saying anything else, uh, D.L. Moody again lifted up the almost dead piece of coal, put it back in the fire, and within no time at all, that piece of coal was glowing again. And uh, it is very easy to think, um, I'll, I'll do it on my own, I don't need to be um, in the church, I don't need to be with all these other Christians, but I'm telling you, it, it doesn't work. Um, and there is this tendency to see the Old Testament as corporate and the New Testament as individual. And there's no doubt about it, we do come to Christ individually, but we make a great mistake if we see the New Testament as purely individual. The Apostle Paul says we are baptised into the body of Christ. And Paul generally wrote his letters not to individuals, but to churches. And when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, in the English language, the, the you plural and the you singular are spelled the same, so we don't often see the difference. But in a lot of languages, including Greek, the you plural and the you singular are actually a little bit like French with to and vu. And um, it's very interesting. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and the your is plural. It's not singular. And when Jesus, people said to Jesus, where is the kingdom of God? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. But once again, the Greek, it's you plural. It's not you singular. So, um, okay, the next slide, please. Came across this rather interesting one. Uh, Derek Copley was, uh, you'll know Moreland's College, uh, down in Sopley, um, and um, uh, near Christchurch and uh, Moreland's Bible College, as it was in the old days. And uh, Derek Copley was the um, uh, principal who wrote this rather interesting book, Build, Building with Bananas. It, it, it's, it's easy to build a building, isn't it, when everything's all straight, but building with bananas, they're all curved and funny shapes. And he got the idea because he was, he was walking along and he could see this bricklayer trying to build a wall. 
and uh, the bricklayer was clearly having a little bit of trouble and, and he said to him, you've got the right job on that, haven't you? And he said, oh, he said, these bricks are terrible. They're like bananas. He said, I'm trying to build a wall with bananas. And Derek Copley got, got thinking about that. And when he came back, he noticed that actually the bricklayer, through skill and expertise, had actually made quite a nice wall because although the bricks were not very good bricks and they were all odd shapes, by cleverness, he had sort of matched them to each other, and one bending to the right was matched up with one bending to the left, and so on. And it was actually quite an attractive wall, using the different shapes and interlinking them with each other. Now, there's uh, how many of us here this morning? I don't know, 40, 50. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we're all clones of each other, and we're all identical, and all exactly the same, and wouldn't it be a wonderful church? Well, it ain't like that, ladies and gentlemen. They're all a little bit different. 50 people here. I guess if we did a Myers-Briggs test, we'd have 50 different personalities here this morning. Um, and even people who are almost the same would still have sort of little differences uh, here and there. And that's what the church is about. It's intermeshing. And sometimes people give up on the church. Oh, I'll do it on my own. I'll be absent. I'll worship God in my own way because it's all a bit too difficult in the church. Yes, it is difficult, but that's the way it's meant to be. We're called to be the body of Christ, and we're, 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 all, we're all together. Thomas was absent on that first Easter Sunday, and he missed out on the blessing. He missed out on the proof that Jesus was there. And, and, and I would suggest to you that it's not a good thing to be an absentee. It may be that you're getting a little bit fed up with church, and you think it... Oh, it might be better if I just uh, copped out and gave it a miss. But I'm, I'm telling you that we, we're all in it together. We're, we're baptised into the body of Christ. <coughs> Next slide, please. Uh, Thomas, the uh, sceptic. And uh, he's, this is why Thomas has gone down in history as Doubting Thomas. Well, I was a chaplain in the Navy, uh, joined as a very young chaplain, uh, young, brash, and all that sort of stuff. I was sent to work alongside uh, an, uh, a chaplain who had been a congregational minister in Wales and, and had been a chaplain for a long time. And he told me in the village he was brought up in, there was a guy in the village known as Die Born Drunk. And, um, and, and he said, there's no doubt about it, when he had a few drinks, uh, yes, he was, but he said, people forgot that when he was sober, he was actually a good husband, he was a good father, he went out to work, put bread on the table, and he cared for, for his family. But there were occasions when he got into trouble with the law, and that's all people remembered. They didn't remember all the good things, they only remembered those occasions when he was born drunk. And so he went down in Welsh history as die born drunk. Uh, Thomas, he's gone down in history, is doubting Thomas. I do wonder if sometimes we perhaps ought to call him Honest Thomas instead of Doubting Thomas. You know, he could have sort of all kept it down. Well, I'm not so sure about this, but what will the neighbours think? What will the other Christians think if I uh, say these things? So I'll just keep it to myself. But he was actually very honest. And whereas the, the others uh, believed, he said, unless I see for myself the nail prints, um, I, I, will, I will not believe. Now, I do want to say to you that there's nothing wrong with, with doubt as such. Uh, we should not pretend if we have genuine doubts. And, and to be honest, there are some quite difficult things about the Christian faith, isn't it, that we're asked to, asked to take um, on, on board. I, I do remember that um, I, it was Trinity Sunday and I was um, uh, having to preach on the Trinity um, at my church in London and my daughter, who was about eight, 
and said to me, um, you know, because I was trying to put a children's talk together on a clover leaf or iron or sort of steam, water and ice or something like that. And she said, well, Jesus is God, but he isn't God, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of heresy going on there. But, um, uh, but, but in a way, I know what she was sort of, sort of saying. You know, there are some quite difficult things uh, for us to understand. And that's why we have house groups, if you like. Um, you know, sort of not a big group like this, but perhaps, you know, five or six of us, if we can be very honest with each other um, uh, when, we're, you know, when we are friends with each other and we can look at some of these things in house groups. And, you know, some of us do have doubts. And uh, next slide, please. Um, I remember when I was at university, um, this book was written um, by, by a professor called Oz Guinness, Christian, who was a professor of philosophy, doubt, uh, faith in two minds. Um, and, you know, there's nothing... Um, in the evangelical world, we're, we're perhaps not meant to talk about doubt. You know, this is the way it is, slavish obedience, that's what we need. Um, you know, very army and navy, all that sort of stuff. Um, but actually, you know, some of us do have... Uh, doubts about particular aspects of faith, and it is right that we can sort of come to that point where, where, where we can believe in our own way and, and in our own time. And, and, and look at look at the Psalms, you know, I mean, look at David, um, you know, there's no sort of spin there, is there? You know, he's sort of sometimes quite angry with God, and he speaks very candidly and honestly uh, with, with God. So, uh, Thomas the skeptic, yes, doubting Thomas, perhaps honest Thomas, um, sometimes I've had to advise people not to go forward for baptism, you know, they've got lots of unanswered questions and perhaps it might be best if they waited a bit and, and when they've resolved those issues in their own mind, then it might be right next year to go forward for baptism. And of course, in the church, we're so concerned with numbers. Oh, great, you know, these people want to, it doesn't matter what you believe, but yeah, let's get you through the waters of baptism. But actually, you've got to be at that this is the right step that you're taking, and, and we don't know every single thing, but we do feel that we can take that step through, through the waters of baptism. Uh, but we shouldn't sort of poo-poo doubt, and we shouldn't look down on people because they have doubt. Um, and, uh, you know, what's the Sunday school faith? Believing in something you don't, you, you know, not to be true. You know? <laughs> um, well, well, it's not like that. Um, but um, you, we do have to go through some of these things to know what we believe and know why we believe and come to that point where we feel that we can take that, that step, step forward. I do actually um, say, to, I used to get questioned quite a bit in the Navy by people who thought they were humanists and agnostics and atheists and that. They're not really, but they, they sort of anything to sort of teach the fish, you know, and, um, and, and I said, well, if you look at something like the resurrection, um, there, there are all sorts of reasons given why um, people believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but when you look at them all, they, they all have answers, actually, um, so uh, people say, well, he wasn't really dead, you know, he was still alive, well, they put him in the tomb. The fact that um, you have ruthless soldiers and one of them thrust a spear in his side and you have the separation of the, 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 the blood in the water, which is a sign of, which is a sign of, of, of death. 
and then say, well, the disciples changed, changed the body, you know, um, and there was this massive stone in the way, plus the Roman soldiers, who were the sort of the elite, who were guarding the stone, and then the other say, well, the disciples made it all up, or they deluded. Do you honestly think, if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, that those people would have gone out and risked life and limb to try and change the world if they knew all of, all along that they were telling lies and they, they were deluding themselves. So there are actually answers that we can give to all these objections that are put forward uh, for, 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 the, for the resurrection. But at the end of the day, there has to be that step of faith, otherwise it isn't. Christian faith. You, you, you can't prove everything by logic. And especially, as Jesus said, you, you, you believe because you've seen the signs. Blessed are those who have believed who haven't seen the signs. And for those of us who come after Thomas, that, that we haven't seen the nail prints in Jesus' side, there has to be that step of faith. Otherwise, it isn't Christian faith. So are you a believer this morning? Or are you a sceptic? And we're asked to believe in a saviour who came and loved us and died for us and rose again from the dead. And it's interesting if you look at all the other major world religions, uh, they're about revering the teachings of people who died years ago and passed on to us a body of teaching. Christianity stands out on its own as speaking about a personal relationship with the living Lord. Not a penniless preacher from Nazareth who was a good egg, but suffered at the hands of the establishment who didn't understand him and saw him as a threat. And there are plenty of skeptics um, around. Paul, for instance, had to write to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the importance of the resurrection. So we have... Um, Thomas the absentee, Thomas the sceptic, and thirdly, next slide please, uh, we have Thomas the believer, um, because as we had in our reading, a week later, Jesus appears to the disciples, and this time, verse 26, Thomas is there, and Thomas was given the opportunity to touch and see and, and believe. And this time his scepticism, I will not believe unless I see the nail prints um, in his hands. This time his scepticism is transformed into belief. And one of the most beautiful statements in the Old Testament, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And after the ascension, people have, like us have had to believe without seeing. And if you like, uh, the words of Jesus here... Um, Jesus says, uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And if you like, these are the, when John wrote his gospel, a few years after the earthly life of Jesus. Uh, these are words for the early church. And these are words indeed for the church right down uh, through the ages. Uh, readers of John's gospel right up to today. Um, we have the words of Jesus recorded for us. We have the deeds of Jesus recorded for us. Now, do you believe in the Lord who has risen from the dead? And there is an act of faith required. Nothing wrong with questioning and proper investigation, but ultimately there has to be an act of faith. Are we going to be like Thomas this morning? 
my Lord and my God. Not just the penniless teacher from Nazareth, but Jesus, the Son of God, very God and very man, my Lord and my God. Now, um, this will show you how old this book is, because it's got five shillings on the back. <laughs> uh, next slide, please. But, um, uh, and I couldn't get a better, I couldn't get um, on the internet anything better, but here it is. And um, uh, Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison? And I think this was written in about the 1930s. But this chap, Frank Morrison, was a lawyer, a skeptic, and, and he was fed up once and for all for the claims of the Christian church about this person, Jesus, who rose from the dead. He was going to look at the Gospels, he was going to look at other evidence outside the Gospels, and he was going to prove, as a lawyer, once and for all, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And in this book, um, his first chapter, he calls it the book that refused to be written, because the more and more he looked at the evidence, the more and more he, he looked at everything, he came to the conclusion that, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead. Who moved the stone, the book that refused uh, to be written? And if you like, um, uh, as we see the evidence in front of us, as we read about Jesus, we can only respond with Thomas, my Lord, and, and my God. Now, um, a conclusion, please. Uh, next slide. Um, so Thomas moved from doubt uh, to faith. What well, of Thomas? Well, um, obviously he's not the Thomas that we think about in St. Thomas's church sorcery, because that's Thomas Beckett. But um, it just so happens that um, there is a this isn't in the Bible, but there is a tradition that Thomas went to India as a missionary. And if any of you have been to India, there are lots of churches in India called St. Thomas's Church. And it just so happens, um, uh, I'm terribly old-fashioned, I've used these for about 50 years, you know, Scripture Union daily notes. And um, I, the, the reading for next Sunday um, happens to be by somebody who was a missionary who served in India. And let me read these words to you. We must also thank God for all who have preached the gospel to the nations. It is believed that the Apostle Thomas came all the way to India in AD 52 to a people he did not know and to an area very strange to him to preach the good news to my ancestors. He came to India before Paul went to the lands of the Roman Empire. Thomas had a much more difficult time. He went to a different people and preached to them in a strange language, Tamil. God gave him the gift of tongues as he never used a translator. God was with Thomas and blessed his ministry as he obeyed his heavenly call. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel, planted a cross, and built a church. Many temples whose priests had been converted became churches. Because of his ministry, the community of the Syrian Christians was established in Malabar and Kerala. And I stand before you today because he converted my ancestors. There is a tradition in my family that we are descended from a Nambudri official of the local Rajas court who was converted by Thomas. So, Thomas, man of clay, doubting Thomas, I'm suggesting that perhaps he should be known as Honest Thomas. The one who said, I cannot believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands. But 
Thomas the skeptic, who became Thomas the believer, my Lord and my God. And may we this morning stand hand in hand with Thomas and say and worship Jesus, my Lord.